Hey everyone and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode we're going to be talking about anime episodes 177 through 179 which will be covering manga chapters 270 through 273. But first off, a correction from the last several podcasts and I can't believe I missed this like all this time. But I've been calling Ohm's uh, ordeal the steel ordeal but it's actually called the iron ordeal. I forgot that Tetsu in Japanese is iron and Hagane is actually steel. And yeah, I had, for some reason, a major brain fart when it came to that, so sorry about that confusion. But yeah, it's called the Iron uh, Ordeal, so yes, I have had that wrong for like the last like four podcasts. But with that out of the way, let's get into this set of episodes, which covers some pretty exciting and funny developments in the story, albeit presented in a less than stellar animation quality, but still pretty engrossing. So the synopsis, with NL's survival game coming to an end with just a few survivors left, Zoro squares off against Ohm while Wiper tries to get through the giant snake to save Isa, who's inside. Isa and the others, having just been swallowed whole, run into Luffy inside and decide they need to come up with a way to escape the snake. NL himself makes his appearance before all of them to oversee the final minutes of his survival game. Alrighty. So the differences, there are actually quite a few differences in these few episodes. So right off the bat, there are some extra scenes of Lucky traveling, trying to get to Wiper. And then they they repeat a bunch of uh, flashback scenes from the previous episodes of all the Shandian scenes and all Wiper trying to get everyone hyped up for everything. And so that just obviously serves to, you know, elongate the episodes a little bit. Inside the snake, there's also a really small difference. Um, when Isa tries to attack Gumfall the first time, in the anime, Nami grabs the back of uh, her collar, but in the manga, she actually bonks her on the head, which is funny. I don't know if they changed that because they don't want someone depicting, you know, Nami hitting a, a little girl or something. I'm not really sure why they changed that, but it is a very interesting tiny change. We get another Luffy impersonation of his crew members, this time of Usopp when Nami is like pulling on Luffy's uh, nose to be, you know, to try and scold him. And then the nose just kind of stays elongated. But this moment is in both the manga and the anime. But in the manga, it's much more understated and it's kind of a blink and you'll miss it joke. And, And in fact, I actually did miss this joke in the manga all these years. And this is actually the first time I've ever noticed it in the manga. It's just a small... Uh, word bubble that appears and it's not even really like focused on you just kind of hear it in passing as if Luffy's saying it in the background while in the anime itself obviously you get to see that entire joke play out and the camera even focuses in on Luffy when he does this so there's that really funny scene where the three of them stuck inside the snake realize why the snake's been going crazy and so in the manga it's a little bit different as Nami and the others realize through their own reasoning why the snake is in the in a terrible mood with all these stomach pains. But in the, in the anime, Luffy gets a lit, uh, some additional lines of dialogue that sort of help them come to that conclusion through the help of Luffy's, you know, his extra lines. I always thought that was also another interesting change. I wonder, you know, maybe they just need to add a few more seconds so they gave Luffy a couple more lines of dialogue. And then finally, kind of in that same vein, during the Ohm and Zoro fight, Ohm does a little bit more monologuing in the anime than he does in the manga. So yeah, again, they just give him extra lines of dialogue to sort of chew up more time to elongate the, the content they have in these four chapters or so. But yeah, that's mostly all the differences I found in these few episodes. So let's move into my thoughts. 
So yeah, we begin this episode with Ohm unleashing his full iron ordeal as he creates a dome of his iron cloud barbs to trap the remaining survivors in it and have them duke it out in sort of a cage death match for the remaining spots, which is a plot device that Oda will actually go on to use much later on down the line as well. For those of you that know, will know exactly what I'm talking about. So Laki finally makes it to Wiper to join him, but before she can tell him Kamakiri's message, NL shows up and fries her with the lightning. Now this is played for dramatic effect, but given how pretty much everyone so far NL has electrocuted has survived, albeit somewhat severely injured, I'm not too overly concerned for her. I mean, and I also know that Oda just doesn't like to kill off characters at this point. And while I don't think there's inherently anything wrong with that, I think as a viewer or a reader, it does kind of deflate these dramatic, you know, moments and it lowers the tension. But that's just my personal opinion. We then catch up with everyone inside the snake as Nami and company are now stuck inside it with a certain other somebody. And I love how Nami is lecturing Isa for not realizing they're inside a snake and Gumfall for trying to attack their way out as being very stupid for both things. While this is exactly what Luffy has been doing to cause so much trouble and who should show up from the shadows but Luffy himself. And this moment is played up for a more dramatic effect than the manga as in the anime it draws out his reveal which is pretty unnecessary since we all know who it is. But yeah, obviously this was done to draw out even more time. But the next exchange of Luffy stumbling his way to the realization that he has in fact been inside the snake the whole time is pretty freaking hilarious. From him still not realizing he's in the snake after just explaining their situation and putting the two and two together <laughs> to now Isa calling Luffy slow for the same thing Nami just lectured her about it moments ago to Luffy realizing his clothes are melting and finally culminating with him declaring that they need to find the snake's butthole <laughs> to escape. And this has to be one of the funniest things to ever come out of Luffy's mouth, reasoning that since they got eaten, it only makes sense to come out of the ass, you know, the ass like poop. So there's another really minor change from the manga to the anime. The onomatopoeia that Luffy uses to describe being pooped out is so much better in the anime. And I have to think this was an ad lib by uh, Mayumi Tanaka. So in the manga, the line is, And so that, that, that's the original sound that's in the, in the manga. But Mayumi Tanaka in the anime replaces boot with buri and for whatever reason, this sounds so much funnier. Like whenever she uses that term to describe the sound of being shit out, it's just so funny. I don't know what it is. And she says it twice too. We'll get to that later. But when when they get thrown back into the snake and again, he proposes the same plan to Isa and uses that same booty booty noise. It's just too funny. I think because it goes from like boot, which is just like, you know, like almost sounds like a solid poop, like just one one shot out. But when he when when Luffy uses the booty, it sounds almost like diarrhea and it makes it even sound worse and even more unappealing to come out that way. <laughs> then to top it off, I love the moment they all realize why the snake has actually been in such a terrible mood after they talk it out. And then that sudden shocked realization that it was Luffy causing all this damage. And when the screen turns white and they all exclaim, Masaka! Or, don't tell me! In particular, Gunfall's eyes here are absolutely hilarious and they crack me up each time. They just go absolutely 
bulging wide open. It's so funny. I think in the next scene though, what's impressive here is that Nami gets angry enough at Luffy for the mess he's caused and hits him over the head. And there's that ever-running joke that Nami can actually hurt Luffy with her punches despite his rubber powers. But she hits him hard enough that it actually registers to the snake and causes him to have another bout of IBS, which is, which I don't know what to, how to take that. It, I mean, obviously it's a joke, but Nami's strong enough to hit Luffy with enough force to cause enough pain to the snake. Like, and yeah, Nami's like angry punch is kind of a running joke, but almost like, is she actually stronger than we think? It's kind of a it's kind of a really silly thing to think about, but but yeah, Luffy. Uh, but Nami can always seem to hurt Luffy and Zoro and Sanji with just her punches. It's kind of funny. Back on the outside, Wiper battles the snake to save Isa, while Zoro is forced to face Ohm if he wants any chance at saving Nami. He needs to take Ohm out first, but is mostly on the back foot for the beginning of this fight. As not only can Zoro not close the gap on him due to the Aizen Whip attack, but also Ohm can obviously use mantra like the other priests as well to tell exactly where Zoro is at all times. Although one thing I kind of need to correct myself from a really old episode but in the whiskey peak episode i mentioned that in that episode he only uses takanami for the first and only time there in the canon but i completely forgot he actually tries to use it here i mean ultimately it gets blocked and he hits his head but this move actually when i went back and really thought about it and kind of looked through it actually comes up way more often than i thought um and so yeah i was completely wrong and i guess that's kind of a criticism on this move is that it's like not a mo not a really memorable move for me in terms of Zoro's like moves, but I don't know why because I always like the name like Takanami sounds really cool. But again, yeah, I don't I don't know why I just completely forgot that this move actually comes up far more often. Another bit of commentary I just kind of have to mention here too is I have to say the animation in the this episodes and all three of these episodes to be quite honest are pretty bad. Like that moment when Zoro slams his head up against Ohm's eyes and back. It doesn't even really convey or indicate an actual impact or force from the way it appears. Like you see this like sort of yellow impact um, effect, but he moves so slowly. It almost looks like he just kind of like bumps his head a bit when it's actually supposed to be devastating enough for Zoro to actually draw blood in his head. And so it's like it looks so bad and the character proportions are just really off too. And yeah, these few episodes and a couple later on just kind of look bad it's almost like they were they were definitely being rushed because they couldn't fit any real fillers in here um you know to sort of elongate the schedule at all so it, it does definitely seem like a few of these episodes really got sacrificed in terms of animation quality anyways getting back to the story as ohm readies the killing blow zoro unleashes the santoryu style of the sanju rokpondoho or the 36 caliber phoenix or 36 pound phoenix whatever you want to call it i'm just going to keep calling it the sanjuro pondoho but yeah he unleashes the hyakhach pondoho which is the 108 pound phoenix which is obviously just 36 times 3 and i knew it that this was going to be the final attack and that there was going to be a santoryu version of this and you know obviously we can also surmise that there eventually will be a nitoryu version or two sword style version of this called the Nanaju ni Pondoho or the 72 pound phoenix and honestly though as epic as this moment it was in the manga the animation again I really feel lets this moment down like what should have been a really cool moment 
it just gets bogged down with this bad animation again. It just sort of opts to only animate the still images with like a few moving parts instead of like, you know, utilizing the whole animation medium and actually showing the slashes traveling through the air and cutting home with the force that it's depicted with in the manga. Or at the very least, maybe animate some more frames so the movement looks a little smoother. Because if you really look at this moment, it actually looks like Ohm just gets cut like f- like a frame of him just standing there. And then the very next frame, it's him falling over with nothing in between. Almost like it was a PowerPoint slide with two slides. And it's just so bad. And yeah, I hate the fact that this final blast looks so underwhelming and so bad. Kind of keeping up with Zoro's story though, jumping ahead a little bit, is Zoro is later a- attacked by Holy, and there's this gag where Zoro inadvertently yells, Wait! And Holy actually listens to him. And to Zoro's like incredulous surprise, he realizes that Holy will actually listen to com- any command regardless of who gives it. And so he just casually commands him to hit his head and knock himself out, which I find is pretty funny that Holy, this sort of imposing and and ferocious dog, is just so easily dealt with. You know, like some people think it's a little anticlimactic, but I think it's a pretty hilarious joke, actually. Because, I mean, Holy himself was meant to be a joke gag character. I mean, look at the way he's designed, first of all. So I don't really mind the fact that Holy wasn't this sort of like immense threat. So I forgot to actually mention this in the differences section, but in the next section, there's actually a filler scene with the gang inside the snake. And, you know, for being a filler scene that never actually occurs in the manga, this scene is actually really good and pretty well written. It shows just how much resentment and bad blood there is between the Shandians and the Skypeans, with Isa so angry that she's willing to kill Gunfall on the spot. This scene brings up the parallels of colonization, and specifically the American colonization of the Native Americans, or I guess the English settlers uh, who colonized America. It attempts to explore the difficult subject of how does one group of people atone for the crimes and mistakes inflicted upon another group of people by your ancestors, even though you clearly haven't committed a crime yourself, but you've certainly benefited from it. It's a question that is very much debated even to this day, whether it be in regards to the colonization of Native Americans here in the United States or slavery of African Americans. It's a very difficult problem. Like, do you punish the people of today to make amends and give reparations for the sins of their ancestors, or maybe find a diplomatic way to make everyone happy? It's it's a really difficult situation, and yeah, I can't pretend to know that I don't I know what to do with that. But it is interesting that it makes you think about that here. I mean, because Japan itself has a pretty dark history as well in terms of like all the evil things they've done to their neighboring countries, whether it be in China or Korea, as well as, you know, Southeast Asia. I mean, they've done some pretty horrendous things. And yeah, how do you reconcile that with the people of today? So in the story, Gumfall here, as the descendant of those people that caused so much pain against the Shandians, has been searching for a solution and coming up empty, and all he can do is in good faith would like to see each Shandian and personally apologize to each and every one of them, as well as offer his own life. While young and naive as Isa is, she only sees Skypeans as the bad people that need to be eliminated. But Nami raises a good point that at this point, it doesn't matter so much who's in the right or who's in the wrong. And the real bad people are those that can't coexist peacefully with, an, with one another. 
which I also admit is a bit idealistic, but so is One Piece as a whole. So I think the principle is somewhat sound in that regard. You know, obviously in real life, you can't just sort of be be like to these people. It's like, well, that's all in the past. <laughs> just just move on. You know, as long as we, in good faith, try and not to to do any more harm. And while the crimes of the past may not and should not be forgotten, the biggest problem is that there is still this divide with racism and lack of equality that still exists, like in the case of the U.S. You know, I think it would go a long way to repairing the damage if the country and its people would just stop marginalizing those wronged group of people and continue to further harm those communities, instead actually finally come together as one and treat each other with respect and equality. Again, that's a discussion for a completely different platform, but I just wanted to kind of touch upon it as it is a theme that's recurring of the entire arc. And again, One Piece and Oda kind of goes for this sort of idealistic, simple answer as when ultimately Aisa does try to kill Gunful, Luffy being the simple-minded guy he is, stops her and says, you know what, Gunfall says he's sorry, and at, she she should at least forgive Gunfall himself, maybe not the entire society of uh, Skypeans, but Gunfall himself seems to truly be repentant and, and wants to ch- see positive change and peace among all people, and therefore be forgiven. Which I think, yeah, is kind of echoes what Nami said. It's like, we shouldn't judge people based on what we perceive that entire group to be, but rather look at them on an individual level. And while maybe the Skypeans are still a bit racist and not very accepting of Shandians, Gonfal himself, he as a person, is. He's very accepting of, of everything, wants to see equality and peace among both Skypeans and Shandians. And so, yeah, if you were to judge just Gunfall on his own, I don't think Gunfall himself deserves to die. And it kind of goes back to, yeah, this whole idea of instead of sort of judging people on the sort of the characteristics of a group, really look at each individual as a person and judge those people that way instead of just lumping them all together and profiling them all as one one negative or, I guess, even a positive trait. But yeah, this sort of stereotyping and sort of not understanding each person on an individual level is the biggest problem. But yeah, I'll leave it at that. So, getting back to the story, in the next scene we catch up with Robin where NL appears before her. He informs her that the gold is gone at this point and implies he took it all for some purpose. NL then confirms to Robin that there is a golden bell somewhere in Skypea, just as Nolan had written in his logbook. At this point, NL, using his vast mantra, notices someone running in the upper yard, which happens to be one of the Divine Squad servants, which then brings us back to Pagaya and Konis on the Mary. As that Divine Squad servant collapses in front of them to convey a warning that NL plans to drop Skypea to the sea and kill everyone in the process, it's revealed that NL has been secretly building a flying arc called the Maxim to leave Skypea, and it's Likely, the goal went towards the construction of this arc, just based on the flow of the conversation. And in order to silence him from revealing anything else, he shoots down his lightning column, the El Thor, on all three of them, but Pagaya sacrifices himself to push Konis off the upper yard to at least save her, and thus appearing to kill Pagaya in a very dramatic moment, along with the Skypean Divine Squad member. I say appearing to kill, because at this point, 
like I mentioned earlier, I just don't trust Oda to kill anyone. And it's for this very reason that while this moment is played up to be this very sad and dramatic moment, it's a bit undercut by the fact that I have a pretty good feeling that he'll still be alive at some point. And that's all I'm thinking when I first read this in the manga. What it doesn't take away from, though, is Konis' reaction to seeing her father die, sacrificing himself to save her. If it weren't for that underlying thought of the fact that he's probably not dead, this scene would actually be really sad as Pagaya up till now has not only been such a kind character to everyone, even to the point where he's inviting random pirates and treating them to great hospitality, fixing up Nami's waiver for free, trying to defend them from the White Berets, risking his life to venture into the dangerous upper yard to help the Straw Hats, and finally making the ultimate sacrifice to save his daughter, while the fact remains that he was in that dangerous position because he also saw someone in need and went to help them. It's kind of glossed over, but Pagaya is an incredibly kind and generous and brave man. So it is really sad that he might potentially be dead. And, you know, Konis being his daughter, she inherited that same strength, courage, and kindness as she, despite just watching her own father killed in front of her moments ago, resolves to venture back to the Angel Isle, where she's actually still a wanted criminal, mind you, to warn everyone of the impending danger. Like I said at the beginning of this arc, I love these two characters. They have so far been a constant and pleasant surprise this entire arc. Like just when you think their role is over and you won't be seeing any more of them, Oda finds a really great and organic way of keeping them involved in the story in significant and impactful ways. And it's really great because, yeah, I love Pagaya and Konis. But moving back to Enel, with most of the pieces in place, Enel decides to move the f to the final phase of his plan and unleashes an attack called Shango, which rains down a barrage of lightning bolts causing enough damage to bring down the entire upper platform of the island, the one that Zoro and Wiper remain on, sending everyone, including the giant snake, hurling down into the main city of Shandora, where Robin and Enel are. During all this commotion though, Nami and Gonfall actually make it out of the snake, but Luffy and Isa fail to escape with Pierre going back in to help them on Gonfall's request. And I love how once the dust settles, <laughs> this is this is too funny, Zoro is only mildly inconvenienced and annoyed after falling like several hundred feet amongst all this like stone debris, emerging from it explaining, shit, I was about to die. And Robin's usual deadpan delivery is like, yes, normally you would die. <laughs> it's just so funny. Because Zoro does survive just the most absurd situations. And he's doing this while also carrying Chopper's body too. There's also another really quick joke that I will always laugh at when we cut back to Luffy and Isa and Pierre. Um, and so when Pierre shows up to help them in his bird form, Luffy says, Oh, it's a horse. <laughs> and Isa just yells, That's obviously a bird! Not knowing that Pierre is actually a devil fruit user. But then the joke goes a step further with the visual gag as Pierre morphs into his hybrid form. Isa is then shocked, screaming, Ah! He became a horse! And it's, and it's hilarious that they animated her with this sort of elongated square face like a horse. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional, but it looks like it was. And if that wasn't funny enough, then Luffy stretches his arms to get on the horse. And by this point, Isa is full-on panic mode as she's hysterically screaming, Ah! His arms stretched! And this whole sequence has me in stitches every time I watch it. It's just like, I love these rapid fire jokes. It's just all these random things happening. 
And then also in the very next scene, we get this like completely nonsensical and random fan service shot of Nami's ass for no particular reason. Like I don't even know what this what this indicates. Like Nami's clearly speaking right now, so the camera should be on her face, not her ass. So it's just yeah, it's just a really unnecessary fan service shot of just her ass. But anyways, we then see Wiper's reaction, finally being able to step foot in and see his people's home country. But what's curious is, the snake also has a strong reaction to seeing this place. Which brings up a lot of questions. Like, this snake is much more intelligent, first of all, and not just the wild beast that I originally thought he was. And also, what is this place to the snake? Which has led me to believe that the snake must play a bigger role in the story. Like, maybe it was like the protector of the city or something? At least those were the thoughts that were going through my head when I first read it. And yeah, it's a very interesting moment. But this moment is obviously short-lived as NL, fed up with the snake's antics, takes it out with another one of his lightning column blasts, which we finally learned the name of, as I referred to it earlier, but this is the first time he actually uses it by its name called the El Thor, which obviously is a reference to Thor, the thought of Gunder. Or, no, what am I saying? The God of Thunder, uh, showing the divide in strength between him and the remaining survivors, as even Wiper points out that up till now, no one's been able to even scratch the snake, and Enel just takes him out with one hit, setting Enel up to be, again, this sort of unstoppable powerhouse. Yet, we all know <laughs> Luffy is just kind of lurking in the inside of that snake, unable to be hurt by Enel later on. So, again, there is still that little nugget that we're all anticipating Luffy finally being able to go up against Enel and not be affected by his lightning. With the last six remaining people, Nami, Zoro, Robin, Gunfo, Wiper, and Enel himself, he wants the five other people to duke it out and kill off one of them so that this prediction that he made earlier can be right. But instead, we get this epic moment where all three factions finally come together as one against a common enemy. Instead of them considering knocking themselves off, they all point at Enel and defiantly tell him, you get lost. And whoo, chills. I get chills every time I see this moment because it's so cool seeing them all just sort of defiantly pointing at NL. And just the prospect of seeing these four go up against NL will be a sight. But at the same time, we all know that they probably won't stand a chance against him. And Luffy will eventually need to show up to save the day. But that will have to wait till later. So look forward to that in future podcasts. But yeah. If you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at SunnyGoPodcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection. Please check those out. And oh yeah, and yeah, if you feel like uh, supporting, and by no means this is not a requirement, but yeah, if you feel like supporting me, um, yeah, you can check out my Buy Me a Coffee link on the website. Thank you so much. Uh, as for spoilers, it's not really a spoiler section, just a, like a really short comment. So it's going to be like only a few seconds. But if you don't want to hear anything about that, I will see you on the next episode. Bye. All right. So the only real spoiler that I really wanted to mention is that very first comment that I made about the fact that Oda uses that sort of the uh, the iron ordeal uh, trope where he creates that cage deathmatch. Obviously, for anyone who's read up to Dress Rosa, will know that he reuses this in the birdcage scene with, or the birdcage for 
uh, Doflamingo and he kind of amps it up even more because the birdcage actually gets smaller and smaller while also Doflamingo is the main villain of that arc as well. So it creates this incredible like tension. But yeah, it, it's interesting that he uses this moment or that he uses this um, plot device here and then again uses it like 10 years down the line to, I would say, greater effect. Because in this one, I feel like the... Um, the iron cloud, the barbed wire thing really doesn't add too much to anything. Like, I never really felt any threat from it. While with the birdcage, man, that is, like, all eyes are on that thing while that thing is closing in. So, but yeah, that's really the only thing I wanted to mention here. Anyways, thanks for listening, and I will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.